Well, let's pray and ask God for his help. Almighty God, our gracious and holy Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the glorious Lord Jesus Christ in whom we have all that we need. We pray that you might help us to find satisfaction and contentment in him that we may be able to offer to everyone without favouritism, genuine love and mercy. Please help us to understand your word. Please help us to put it into practice in our lives and in our church. We pray in Jesus' name. Uh, have you ever had someone flatter you? You've been flattered. They tell you how clever you are. They tell you what good taste you have. They tell you how handsome you are, how beautiful you look. Uh, they're usually trying to get something from you, aren't they? Uh, the moment someone calls me sir, I know they're trying to sell me something. Uh, the moment someone calls me reverend, I know it's a funeral director or someone who wants something from me. This doesn't happen very often, but I actually had a lady tell me the other day how handsome I am. <laughs> such a handsome man. Such beautiful children. She was trying to sell me sunglasses. It's true, isn't it? It's true. People are often nice to us because they think they can get something from us. Salesmen are nice because they want us to buy something. Waiters are nice because they want a tip. It all comes with strings attached. But of course, it's not just a thing that other people do to us, is it? We're in on it as well. We're inclined to favour people if there's something in it for us, if they can do something for us, if they can benefit us, or, or maybe uh, we'll hang around people if they make us look good. When I was at university, I learned about a thing called the reflected angel syndrome. It explains why men try to marry someone who is beautiful. Apparently, if you are seen with a beautiful woman, it reflects back on you. Now, people think there must be something good about you to be with a beautiful woman. It certainly works for me. Uh, people see me walking down the street with Carmelina and they think, that bloke must be rich or famous. Uh, how else could he get a woman like that? Uh, we often favour people because they make us look good or because we can get something from them. Now, meanwhile, the people who can't do anything for us, well, they're not worth our time. We show favouritism. Favouritism. Well, chapter 2 of his letter, James takes on this issue of favouritism. And if you're a Christian, he says, favouritism is not appropriate. Not if you are relying on Jesus as your glorious Lord and King. James chapter 2 and verse 1. Have a look with me. James chapter 2 and verse 1. My brothers and sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. All right, there's the command. Pretty simple, isn't it? Uh, James then gives an example of what he means. He talks about a church gathering. A rich man walks in. We saw a beautifully pictured, didn't we? He gets the royal treatment. A poor man comes in. He gets treated like dirt. Verse 2. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? I suspect it's something that still happens today, don't you? You'd probably still get a better welcome in churches if you look rich. Favoritism still happens. 
And it all comes back to what we're talking about. Why do we show favoritism? Well, it's because we think we can get benefit from people, isn't it? In James's example, that rich person might be able to give more money to the church. He could uh, perhaps increase their social standing. If we're seen hanging around with that rich person, it'll improve our image. Uh, maybe we can even get some favours for ourselves. Maybe he's an employer, we could get a job or something like that. But a poor person, what can he do for me? Sit at my feet, scum. Let's call it what it is. It's using people. It's using people. That's what favoritism comes down to. We favour people because we think we can get benefit. We are using them. James says it's not right for believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to give three reasons. Three reasons why Christians should not show favoritism. Three reasons why favoritism is sinful and inappropriate. Reason number one, first reason. First reason why favoritism is inappropriate. It's not the way that God acts. God does not favor the rich over the poor. In fact, if anything, the favoritism goes the other way. It's usually those who are poor in the world's eyes who come to faith in Jesus. God graciously chooses those who are poor to trust Jesus and be saved, whereas rich people are often opposed to the gospel. Certainly that was true for James's readers. It was the rich who were causing them trouble and slandering the name of Jesus. Verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? God doesn't favour the rich over the poor. God chooses mostly poor, weak, lowly people. We may not see that here in Chatswood Presbyterian, but still in our world today, that is the way God is working. In our world today, it is the poor third world countries that are receptive to the gospel. It's African countries, it's South American countries. That is where God is working. Uh, meanwhile, in rich, comfortable countries like ours, there is great resistance to the gospel. God chooses the poor to be rich in faith. So why? Why does God do that? Why does God show that kind of reverse favoritism? What's going on there? Well, James doesn't specifically tell us here, but did you notice it in our second reading? 1 Corinthians 1, where uh, it talks about why God chooses the foolish and the weak and the lowly. Did you get the reason? It was in verse 29 so that no one may boast before him. So that no one may boast before him. You see, here's how it works. God is a giver, not a taker. And so he deliberately chooses people who can't do him any good at all. He deliberately chooses people who have nothing to boast about, who can't say, well, God chose me because I'm so clever. God chose me because I'm rich and I can give to his church. Or God chose me because I'm famous and I can be a great advertisement to him at Christian conferences or something like that. God does not favour the rich. God does not favour the clever or the powerful or the attractive or the influential. He doesn't do good to people because of what he can get from them. And so he's very deliberate about it. He will choose the sort of people that he can't get anything from. God is a giver with no strings attached. God is not a user. God is a giver, not a taker. And Christians ought to be the same. 
as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we have all we need. We are, verse 5, rich in faith. Verse 5, we are going to inherit the kingdom that God promised to those who love him. And so when, when people come to, into, into our church, we shouldn't be thinking about what we can take from them. We shouldn't be kind of needy users looking for someone to suck off. We ought to be thinking about the great thing we have to give. Something way more valuable than the temporary stuff of this world. Something way better than money or status or influence. We have the eternally valuable message of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ to give. God is a giver, not a taker. And so God doesn't favour the rich over the poor. He doesn't show favouritism like that. He doesn't use people. Well, godly Christians should be the same. That's the first reason. First reason why favouritism is not appropriate. James goes on to give you a second reason. Uh, reason number two why favouritism is wrong. It is a failure to love your neighbour. Now, God commanded Israel to love their neighbour as themselves. As Leviticus 19.18 is the reference. And King Jesus reaffirmed it, didn't he? he said, Jesus commanded. He says, the second most important command in all the law, love your neighbour as yourself. This is royal law from Jesus, from King Jesus. It's from God's scripture. But favouritism breaches this royal law. Just think about it for a minute. It's clear, it's clear that you're not loving someone, you're not loving your neighbour as yourself if you're not favouring them. That's clear, isn't it? If you're discriminating against someone, if you're favouring someone else over them, that's not loving. It's not the way you would want to be treated. It's obviously a breach of what, of what God is saying. But if you think about it, you're not loving the person you're favouring either. Because as we've seen, why are you doing it? Because you want to get something from them. You want something for yourself. You're not loving them. You're using them. Favoritism is a breach of God's law that we should love our neighbour as ourselves. Favoritism makes us lawbreakers, as surely as if we committed murder or adultery. Verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Favoritism is a violation of God's law. It makes you a lawbreaker. You're putting yourself above both the person you're favouring and the person you're not favouring. It's ugly. It's selfish. It's not what God wants. Okay, that's reason number two. James still has one more reason. Now this time he talks about the law that gives freedom. And I, th I think if you trace that expression back through last week and into the week before, you'll see that that's talking about the gospel, the good news about the Lord Jesus, about how he's lived and died and risen again to set us free, to set us free from sin and death. In Jesus, God has shown mercy to us. Uh, he, he hasn't looked at us and asked, what can I get out of that person? No, no, he's just graciously shown mercy. Mercy that has triumphed over his judgment. But the thing is this. If you want to be a gospel person, if you want that kind of mercy from God, then you've got to show mercy to other people. 
bit like we pray in the Lord's Prayer. What do we pray? We pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Remember the parable, the unmerciful servant, the guy who gets a big forgiveness from the master but then won't give the little forgiveness to, to his friend. It's just ugly and inappropriate. If we want mercy from God, if we want to be judged on that standard, then we better show mercy to other people, not favour them, not use them, not discriminate against them, not become, like James says in verse 4, judges with evil thoughts. No way. We've got to act in line with what we want from God. Verse uh, 12. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. In the gospel, God has allowed mercy to triumph over judgment. If that's what we want from God, we've got to show it to other people. We need to speak and act with genuine mercy, not with favoritism. All right. Can you see the point James is making? Reasonably simple one, I think. Favoritism is sinful. There it is in three words. Favoritism is sinful. Why? It's not the way God acts. It's a breach of the law of love. It's contrary to the merciful gospel of freedom, not appropriate for believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, well, let's spend a little bit of time thinking about our lives then. Let's ask ourselves the question, are we people who show favoritism? Are we people who show favoritism? What about in the area of friendship? Obviously, we can't be friends with everyone. We all favour some people in, in, in the sense that some people are our friends and others aren't. But on what basis do you choose your friends? Do you choose people who might be good for a favour? Do you choose people who make you look good? People you're proud to be seen with? rich or cool or intelligent or attractive people, people who reflect some glory back to you. I mean, it's something that's just rampant in sort of teenagers and that kind of thing, isn't it? Have we grown out of it? If you haven't, if you are still showing favoritism, James says that is not right. You're not a friend, you're a user. What about in business relationships? Are you a flatterer? Are you, sorry to use a big word, but I like this word, a sycophant? Do you kind of suck up to some people for your own advantage? Do you suck up to the boss? Do you suck up to your clients? Are you all smarmy and nice because of what you can get from them? Uh, but then you treat other people like dirt. You treat the people who work for you, someone who makes the coffee or whatever, like they're some kind of scum. Is that you? Maybe not quite such an extreme form, but a little bit. Well, James says it's not right. It's not the way God treats us. What about in church? Do you stick with the people who are like you? Do you hang around in a rich people's clique or an Anglo-Saxon clique? Uh, do you stick with the easy people, the people who will give back to you, the people who will make you look good? Do you avoid other people, the socially awkward, the elderly, those whose English isn't so good. I remember a few years ago, we had a couple of Indonesian families join us, some of the first families to come here. Now, I don't think anyone was rude to them, 
But basically they were politely ignored. They weren't invited anywhere, they weren't really befriended, not for a long time anyway, it took a long time. Uh, but then we had a couple come from America. They were very white, very wealthy, very attractive, and people were just falling over themselves to be their friends. It was embarrassing. They got invitations left, right and centre. Uh, sorry to pick on Indonesian families, I love you, uh, but I heard something similar from another church the other day. A bloke was telling me about families who've joined the church and he said, we've got, and I'm making the names up, the Smiths, the Jones, the Brownses and some Indonesian family. I said, well, what are their names? He goes, oh, I don't know, some Indonesian name. Do people get a better welcome here if they're Anglo-Saxon? Or maybe if they're ABCs? wonder why all the ABCs are in the 10.30 service. Do people get a better welcome if their English is good? Or if they're rich? Or attractive or famous? Think it happens here? If it does, James says it's not right. James says we need to change. Uh, as I've reflected on this passage during the week, I have to say I've been a bit overwhelmed. The more I think about it, the more I recognise that many of my relationships are infected by favouritism. There are lots of times when I treat people well because I can see some benefit in it for me. Something I want from them. As I've looked at this passage, I've been struck by how much I am a user how I use people for my benefit. But I think about what James says here, and it's, it's, not, just, it's not just about using, it, it's a whole new way of thinking. A whole new way of thinking. I look at this passage and I see here a complete satisfaction in Christ. A, a, a total contentment in what we've got in him, you think about some of the things he's talked about. He started off by saying, as Christians, we are believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. He said, we are rich in faith. We will inherit the kingdom God has promised to those who love him. We have something infinitely worthwhile, something to be genuinely satisfied in, genuinely content with. That, I think, is what this flows out from. James is wanting the Christians to be so satisfied in Christ that they don't need to be users anymore. That they don't need to be takers anymore. We don't need anything from rich people. We don't need anything from attractive people or influential people or famous people. We don't need what they have in Christ. We've got something better, something more valuable. Can you see? That's a whole new way of thinking about yourself and other people. For me it is. A whole new way of thinking. If we could really get this, if we could have this, this profound confidence and contentment, not in ourselves, but, but this, this satisfaction in Christ, can you see? That would transform the way we relate to people. If we could get a genuine satisfaction and contentment in Jesus, we'd stop being takers. We, we wouldn't show favouritism. We wouldn't use people. Instead, as people who are kind of full to the brim, we'd start to be givers. Start to show genuine love and mercy to all different kinds of people, whether they can do something for us or not. Now, the best illustration I can think of this is the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. 
takes me back to Acts chapter 26, and it's a time when Paul was uh, in prison, being sort of run around from one prison to another, and he's dragged before a court. It's the court of the famous Herod Agrippa. If you can just picture the scene for a second, uh, King Agrippa and his wife, you know, beautiful trophy wife, they, they walk into the court with, with great pomp. They're, they're dressed in royal robes, it says. And it says all the high-ranking officers are there, you know, dressed to the nines in their uniforms. And it says all the leading men of the city are there. This is, this is the cream of the crop. This is the cream of society. This is the wealthiest people, the smartest people, the most beautiful people, the most powerful and influential people. And they're all doled up for the occasion, showing off to each other. And then Paul is dragged in. He's beaten up. He's in rags. And he's held by chains. Now, Paul has been falsely accused. And Agrippa and the court, they have the power to influence his case to help Paul. He stands before the court, and what does he do? He doesn't start sucking up. He doesn't beg. He doesn't flatter. No, no. He actually shares with them the good news about Jesus. He tells them the great news that Jesus has lived and died and risen again and given light to the Gentiles. After a while, Agrippa says to him, Do you think that in such short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And then Paul says something that I reckon is just absolutely stunning. It's one of my favourite verses in the whole Bible, something completely stunning. He says, it's Acts chapter 26, verse 29. Paul says, short time, or, short time or long, I pray, God, that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am. Except for these chains. That is amazing, don't you reckon? Here's Paul. He's got nothing. Beaten in chains, a helpless prisoner. He's standing before the most powerful, wealthy, influential people in the city and he reckons they should all wish they were him. Maybe without the chains, but they ought to wish they were him. How could he say that? How could he act like that? Only because he was a believer in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Only because he sincerely believed that what he had in Christ was way more valuable than anything they had. More valuable than any of their stuff. Friends, friends, you know he was right, don't you? He was right. What we have in Christ is more valuable. And do you know what? The day will soon come when rich people who don't trust in Jesus will wish they were us. The day is soon coming when the beautiful people who don't trust in Jesus will wish they were us. The day is soon coming when the clever people and the powerful and the famous and the influential people who don't trust in Jesus will wish they were us. Those people that you're tempted to favour, those people that you're tempted to suck up to, those people that you think you can get something from, for all they might have here or now, if they don't have Jesus, they are soon going to wish they were you. You've got the thing most worth having. Can you see? What would you show favouritism for? What is there that you could get? What, what could you use people for? There is no reason to try to extract benefit from the rich or smart or attractive or powerful. What we've already got is better. Can you see how, can you see how that could set us free? Can you see how that could enable us to be givers instead of takers? Do you see how filled to the brim 
we would be enabled to show genuine love and mercy, unself-interested love and mercy. Friends, I've thought about this. I've been reflecting on it during the week. That's the sort of person I want to be. I actually want to be that person. I want to be so satisfied in Christ that I can offer genuine, unself-interested love and mercy. I want to stop with the flattery and the games. I want to stop being this needy user. I want to genuinely offer people the greatest treasure there is. Nothing in it for me, nothing to gain, but everything for them. It's the sort of person I want to be. Don't you? It's the sort of church I want to be part of. The sort of church where we are so satisfied in Christ that we offer genuine love and mercy to people. No favouritism. That sort of church you want to be part of. My brothers and sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, let's not show favouritism, no way. Let's be satisfied in Christ. And like God himself, let's offer genuine, no strings attached, love and mercy. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your extraordinary and wonderful mercy to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in Christ alone we have hope, we have joy, we have peace, we have all that we need both now and forever. And so we pray that you might help us to recognise that we have all we need in him and, and, and be so filled with satisfaction and contentment in him that we can offer genuine love, that we can actually serve people following in the example of our servant king. We pray it in Jesus' name.